0: Did you know that Radio Vermont Group Digital Services can create videos, including drone footage? We've even won awards for our videos. If you'd like to learn more and see examples of our work, go to rvgdigital.com. Radio Vermont Group. We're more than just radio.
1: We are back. If you love the State House, uh, there's a guy who spends his entire job working on that building. Uh, and if you, like me, love a little museum at a place called Kent's Corner in Callis, uh, you, you will, you need to talk to this guy too. His name is David Sheets, and the, he is the state curator. And he's the guy who makes the state house look the way it is. And he's the guy who, with a group of dedicated volunteers, is responsible for the Kent Museum and an upcoming show, which begins, I believe, this Friday. But he is here to tell us all about it. David Sheets, welcome to Vermont Viewpoint.
0: Thank you, Kevin. It's great to be with you.
1: I was going to begin the show by saying, if you want to do anything, if you want to hang a picture on a wall, In any state building in this state, you've got to go through David Sheets, and it is not an easy process. (laughs) You're the decider.
0: Sometimes I'm the decider, yes.
1: (laughs) I I like to think I'm
0: the decider, but, you know, I work in a a building where there are lots of deciders. So uh, I just... Hope my voice is heard occasionally. Anyway, David, you're very kind.
1: David Sheets is the state curator. Uh, he is also <clears throat> with Nancy Price Graff, the co-author of a comprehensive history of the State House called Intimate Grandeur, Vermont's State House. A copy <laughs> of which I have, and it is signed. I think uh, Sheets put it in my hands and made me buy it, but it is a lovely. <laughs> Lovely uh, work of the State House and its history, uh, but that's we can get to some State House news. But what we want to talk about today is art at the Kent. David Sheets, tell us what's coming up.
0: Sure. So art at the Kent is an exercise of combining Vermont's contemporary art with its historic uh, structures and the Kent is an old complex of buildings, a barn, a general store, a, an old brick tavern, all of which belong to the state of Vermont. They are the Kent's Corner State Historic Site, and they are empty. In fact, they are old buildings that have been somewhat deconstructed. By time as well as a renovation that was never completed. And consequently there are walls of the Kent that are laugh, exposed laugh, um, which is, a, it turns out, a fantastic backdrop for paintings, sculptures, um assemblage uh all kinds of works of art made by vermont's finest uh contemporary artists and we've now been doing this for over 17 years um this will be the 17th such show and uh we're assembling a pretty robust group of fans who come out to Little Ken's Corner in Calais, Vermont, and enjoy the latest uh, number of artists that we've put together to resonate with the historic setting in which these works of art can be seen. So this coming Friday, we open our doors, but Saturday, uh, September 9th, is our grand opening celebration with food, uh, drink, music by Louis Franco and the Cats, uh, providing Afro jazz music in the backdrop uh, as people mill around the grounds of the Kent, where we have quite a lot of sculpture and other uh, elements, and then indoors, going through one gallery after another, after another, after another. There are definitely a lot of works of art at this point. Twenty three of Vermont's finest visual artists have surrendered their work to three curators, Nell Emlin, uh, Alison Evans, and myself. And we spend weeks Installing the show, I can't say at this moment that we are completely finished. In fact, I'll be dashing out to the camp <laughs> very shortly to spend the rest of the day hanging and uh, arranging the works. So it does take a lot of time, <clears throat> but it's definitely worth it. It's a And we'll be open from September 8th through October 8th. Right. Every Friday, Saturday and Sunday.
1: From from 10 to 5.
0: From 10 to 5 every Friday, Saturday and Sunday uh, for a full month. And we have lots of volunteers who help keep the doors open all those times. And um, on a gorgeous day uh, such as we have now been having, it's a great place to be.
1: There's a, uh, in addition to the art, which we'll get to, uh, th- this, uh, this exhibit also serves as a kind of reunion for artists and people from all over central Vermont and beyond who just kind of Come and hang out on the grass in front of and in back of the <laughs> Kent. and because and it gets pretty darn crowded uh, there because of its popularity. But uh, boy, it's a it's a gathering point for the hoi polloi of uh, central Vermont. So.
0: It is it is great. It, we feel a community, and I will say because of a discipline that the three curators have imposed upon ourselves, meaning. We never repeat an artist once we've shown them that um, that means that we have constantly gone out to seek new artists and our our database, our list of prospective artists just keeps growing and growing, as I think you know from a recent story in the press, uh, Vermont has enjoys possibly the largest um, number of artists per capita in the nation um, but it's it's such a great privilege to get to know so many of Vermont's creative people in this exercise and the, we're celebrating that group We now have 200 I believe pushing 280 artists who have now shown in the 17 years of these exhibitions, and uh, we're bringing them all to the Kent this year for uh, our first alumni celebration, uh, a party of those artists, um, which is also part of it. We have so many events that are tangential to the exhibition itself. Including our own, uh, w- words out loud reading series of poetry that is read at the Old West Church just up the road from the Kent. And then after the readings on Sunday afternoons at three, uh, the, the audience comes down to the Kent to enjoy the show with, um, the, the our authors signing their books. So we have lots of different events throughout the uh, the event, the entire month. And consequently, I advise all people to go to our website, kentscorner.org, uh, to see the details of all kinds of things happening in the next month.
1: David, the uh, show is called Traces, Vermont Artists Explore the Elemental. Can you talk a little bit more about that?
0: I will. So this group of 23 artists were put together before we ever named the show. And that's usually how we function. Nell and Allison are the two who hit the road on a regular basis and visit every artist in their studios well before we ever commit To drawing them into a show. So their studio visits have created this huge number of uh, people that we've had on our radar usually for a while. And this show came together particularly because of the love of so many of the artists that are in this year's show. We eventually decided to titled the show Traces because that is what we look for. We look for the commonality that is among all of the artists that are being presented. And only then do we know what the theme of the show ought to be. So it's really kind of the reverse of the way shows sometimes are put together where you have a theme and you, you seek the artists to support that theme. In our case, it's often in reverse, and it's looking at the art and what we've got and coming up with the theme based on that. So traces is about looking at the elemental in art and how art communicates subtly. Um, I would say many of these artists have markings. They have tra- literally traces in their visual uh, vocabulary. And that's what puts all of these amazing artists together. Arranging them is no small thing. As I suggested earlier, uh, we arrange the art not per artist. We mix them. And every, every one of the galleries has a wide variety of art on the walls and it's how each artist is resonating with another artist um, and the building itself, which we sometimes call our fourth curator, because that's what imposes the arrangements. And the, the way that the art is arranged is uh, important. This is not your white gallery walls um, presenting art. This is art in an old building uh, with all kinds of funny, quirky things that the art is playing off of. And that's the experience. I think that's what audiences have long sought with our shows, and they're going to get it uh, very substantially with traces.
1: Uh, Kent's Corner is a historic site. It's a state historic site, uh, and the uh, but and the art at the Kent is a is a nonprofit. Uh, how do you pay for all this? This is a lot of work.
0: It is a lot of work. Um, it is a partnership of the uh, my office, the office of state curator, with the division for historic preservation, which um, takes care of the historic site. Um, and the third uh, partner is Historic Kent's Corner Incorporated, which is a private nonprofit organization that is both a preservation organization for Kent's Corner itself, but also a support group for this exercise. Art at the Kent grew out of the nonprofit, first and foremost, And the other, the state involvement is to support that exercise. The Division for Historic Preservation maintains all of the state owned historic sites, from Calvin Coolidge's birthplace to the Bennington Monument and everything in between. And this historic site is one that was transferred to the Division. Um, back in the 1990s, when the Vermont Historical Society had run it as a museum since the 50s, and they gave it up, they transferred ownership, and a renovation started uh, in the early 2000s. That renovation only got so far, and it was in that deconstructed state that we started presenting contemporary art shows just as a stopgap, as a way to get to the ultimate vision of it being a fully restored historic site. Um, what we discovered in that process is that it now enjoys one of the largest audiences of any of the historic sites, And we're only open one month (laughs) of the year. So the audience for contemporary art in an historic setting proves to be a more commanding vision right now. It's attracting audiences beyond what a lot of historic sites do. So why give that up? So that it has grown in in the past 17 years, as our audiences have grown. And it's very, very satisfying to all of us, including the Division for Historic Preservation, who long ago recognized a good thing when they saw it and are, are very willing partners in this endeavor.
1: Our guest is David Sheets, the state curator who knows everything about every state historic building in this state, which we will get to. But first, I want to take a phone call from Ted in Shelburne. Ted, welcome to the show.
2: Well, uh, thank you. And uh, I just want to <laughs> express appreciation for for this uh, bit of radio. A year ago with Rick Singary, it took place, and I found myself driving over there <laughs> because there was a zipper on the big road i took route to which was torn up and covered with sharp stones <laughs> and then i was familiar with the county road and it was torn up and covered with sharp stones but i did go on friday because the hoi Pallui is distracting when you have such a sight and such art represented uh, i'm sure uh so i i expect this friday despite a rainy weather forecast i will have a have a close look, and I, I just wanted to, you know, I I came to that part of the state in the 60s, early 60s after college, and uh, now I've come to Chittenden County. But I'm um, I like to leave Chittenden County in my rearview mirror on occasion. <laughs> uh, <laughs> And I hate driving into the sun on the way home, but we'll work it out. Anyhow, thanks for this, and I highly recommend it. And Friday ain't bad without the hoy polloi.
1: You know, Ted, tell tell all your friends in Chittenden County, uh, living close to Vermont as you do, that uh, you're all welcome at uh, art at the Kent.
2: I think you all are most of my friends, and I'm not talking much till I get there.
1: I think even <laughs> Sheets will allow you uh, admission. <laughs>
2: D- I d- most think I'll, I'll pay the price and then some and enjoy it very much. Thanks a lot.
1: This
0: is a, this is a typical Art of the Kent viewer. Um, yeah. they, know, they know that the party is fantastic, but they also know that it is not the time to see the exhibition. Ah. So they're, they're, you need to come back, in other words, and that's what they do. It's amazing to me that they all show up for the opening celebration to get what they can of that. But then they'll be back for a quieter visit, such as this gentleman suggested, um, because that's when you have to spend a certain amount of time at your own pace, going through room after room after room of a lot of art. This, we're talking works of art, well in excess of a couple hundred. Yeah. So, um, and they're all over the grounds as well. It's a it's it does take a while to see it all, to appreciate it all, and to do so in the quiet that is usually found in Ken's Corner.
1: Uh, are you charging us to come to this uh, event, David?
0: we do not we have donation only but we we appreciate donations in a jar at the <laughs> entrance so you just plunk in your uh, a suggested donation i believe i can't remember what it is it's something very nominal but um you know if you don't have the suggested donation you can <laughs> You can still see everything. And the um because good. we also have the general store set up with a silent auction. And that silent auction is another great reason for coming to Art at the Kent because Nell Emlin, one of the curators, actually curates this sale. Um, it is full of surprising and wonderful things that one doesn't just find just any old place. So we have people who show up just to go uh, to to be able to go through the sale and um, and bid on things that support this exercise. So those are two key sources of revenue, the donations at the door and the uh, sale.
1: And and before we have to go to one more break, uh you can buy the art that is on the walls. That is correct. So and we, we do not
0: done. take unlike other galleries, we take no percentage of the proceeds of those sales. What we do is we facilitate very much actively facilitate those sales by putting the potential buyer in direct communication with the artist. Uh, for some negotiations that usually take place.
1: Yeah, my dear friend John Parker uh, of Parker Assemblage. Ah, uh, uh, yeah. We was it was either last year or the year before, and um, it's uh, you know he was yeah. among many people that I know who have exhibited there, and you can buy it off the wall.
0: Oh yeah, definitely off the wall. Although we hope. They can wait until the yeah. duration of the show before claiming that work of art. But you are, you are so correct. Um, we are very proud of the fact that our artists sell like hotcakes when they're in this show. So, yeah. uh, John in particular was very, very successful. I think he, yeah. uh, he's a wonderful artist. This is where it's hard to want to uh, have this little rule that we don't repeat artists. Yeah. Uh, because there are so many favorites that we have that we would dearly love to invite again. But currently we're imposing this discipline on ourselves and we have to stick with it.
1: Art at the Kent, which is coming up September 8th through October 8th, uh, on Fridays, Saturdays and Sundays it is a not to miss highlight of the summer and uh, I will be there I guarantee it at least once if not twice couple of tips the uh the parking is a little scarce so do yourself a favor and take one of the more beautiful walks in Vermont park far away like up at Maple Corner near Curtis Pond and and take that walk from Maple Corner into Kent's Corner, that's always a lot of fun, or just ride your bike. Uh, Art at the Kent, David, we can't let you go without asking a couple of state house questions. How is the building doing?
0: The smartest decision that state government has ever made. <laughs> was to build a state house on a hillside <laughs> above the rest of Montpelier. Yeah. And that came home big time this summer. Uh but it has happened more than a few times in fact we believe we've looked back at the records and we believe that flooding of the Winooski River in Montpelier may have played a role in uh the decision to build the state house in the 1830s on that hillside, the first state house of 1808 was flooded in the 1820s. So in the following decade, they decided to rebuild elsewhere up on the hill. And uh it's just too bad that the rest of the Capitol complex can't join the state house up there because everything was safe and high and dry in that building Um and continues to be happily uh relatively unaffected by the flood.
1: You, you are doing some you're doing some work up there as I walk by. I see a lot of folks working on the building.
0: On the state house. Yeah. Yes. So what that's about is putting in a brand new HVAC system mm. to to dehumidify the state house after uh, about fifty years of air conditioning without the benefit of dehumidification. So this is a brand new system, the first in fifty years to be installed in the building. And the first phase of that construction is underway right now but everything else is just as you always want to find it i will say our friends at the welcome center which was flooded down on state street have joined us in the main lobby of the state house to offer foliage visitors to the state house advice on how to navigate this different terrain in the city of Montpelier and elsewhere with lots of advice uh, to those visitors about where they can find a good lunch, where they can find lodging, and so on. With Montpelier uh, coming back to life downtown, they have up-to-the-minute uh, information about all of the businesses that are are rapidly uh, coming to life again, which is fantastic. I think all of us are incredibly um, heartened by what has been going on in in the downtown, and we want to uh, keep visitors going downtown to the extent possible to support those businesses at this really crucial time.
1: Uh, David there is always talk especially post covid about expanding the statehouse uh this this heartens some people it terrifies others and uh, you're at the center of the storm give us an update on plans <laughs> discussions debates about yep. expanding the statehouse Well
0: I would not use the word expanding because <laughs> if it if it expands I honestly don't think it will expand very much, but it does need larger committee rooms, and that is one of the key drivers for the legislature looking at this possibility. The other one, though, is really critical, and that's ADA, um, uh, ensuring that this building above and beyond all other buildings in Vermont must be as accessible as possible. It is the heart of our democracy in this state. And if the state house cannot be easily uh, navigated by all people, um, we that is that is our mission right now, inclusion and reaching out to every Vermonter to ensure that they believe this state house belongs to them and that they can participate in what goes on in it. So that is driving the potential project. And quite frankly, I am conservative when it comes to wanting to change any historic building. But I also recognize an opportunity to make the State House serve the interests of the people of Vermont better and I think that can I think both things can happen and I'm heartened by the project frankly I am not frightened although uh maybe that's because I expect to be at the table and I <laughs> expect yeah. that many of us will you know uh talk about how this can occur without damaging any of the historic integrity of the building and that. Obviously, will my partners at the Division for Historic Preservation, and others will also be at the table as this as this conversation
1: is conducted,
0: and it is a good conversation.
1: And what's the timeline uh, of it?
0: I this is a good question. I think that they're hoping for a broad outline of something that could inform the capital bill. in the upcoming session. So if they do, then uh, in the next few months, uh, the legislative leadership and the governor and others will be uh, deciding how that goes. Oh, that's great. Okay. We'll see.
1: Yeah. Okay. That's great. We're going to take one call before our break, and then we're going to let David go. Uh, Ernie from Plainfield, you are on the line with the state curator himself.
2: Yeah, good morning. Uh, just curious, where the original state house was located in Montpelier?
0: The first state house, which was not built, by the way, uh, for quite some time. In other words, Vermont entered the union in 1791. We did not have a state capitol uh, for 14 more years. In 1805, they made a decision that Montpelier be the state capital and the citizens of Montpelier um, uh, essentially donated that building, uh, the first state house, which stood where right in front of what is today the Supreme Court building. Um, The land was donated by Thomas Davis, who was the son of Montpelier's first settler And uh, he he donated it with the understanding that legislators would need a place to stay. So he he built a hotel right next door, which eventually became the famous Pavilion Hotel. And today, of course, is a state office building that resembles the original historic hotel.
2: Yeah,
1: thanks, Dave.
0: Yes, you're welcome.
1: Uh, I'd like to move. I'd like to turn the pavilion back into a hotel, please. And you can tell the <laughs> attorney general and the governor to move to other quarters. It's clear that they have done that successfully. Uh, actually, David, can you tell us before I let you go what yeah. what are the giant uh, uh, hoses and <laughs> pipes that are going into that pavilion building yeah, that we go by they look every like- day?
2: As
0: somebody said to me the other day, it looks like giant caterpillars are attacking the pavilion building right now. It sounds like a giant
1: dehumidifier to me.
0: (laughs) That is exactly what it is. Yeah. So they're dehumidifying with a source of power generators and so on because um, the flood, of course, knocked out everything in that building, the Supreme Court building right next to it as well as 133 State Street on the other side of the State House, uh, which used to be the original headquarters of National Life. And those substantial buildings all have new infrastructure that is going to have to be redesigned to go above ground where it possibly should have been to begin. Yeah. <laughs> right. And um, new elevators. So the other challenge for those buildings, which are five stories high, is that they need new elevators as well. So this is going to take a while before these buildings can be reoccupied.
1: Well, uh, and David Sheets is going to be there every step of the way to make sure that everything we're talking about is done in the most classy way possible. David Sheets, as always... Thank you. We'll see you at the Kent. We will see you at the Kent Museum.
0: Indeed.
1: This weekend starts Friday. Art at the Kent and the celebration party is on Saturday. Uh, I'll see you there and, uh, thank you for all the work you put in.
0: Fantastic. Thank you so much, Kevin. Okay.
1: David Sheets, the state curator. Uh, it's a, one of the best treats in, in Vermont is to walk into that state house building and if, make sure, don't, don't act like you want to see him. But do what I do, which is sort of accidentally bump into him. And if you're lucky, if he's not busy, he will literally give you a a, a kind of a private tour of the statehouse. And then <laughs> and then when you when you bump into him, ask him about the tunnels and ask him about the, the dome and you'll get the whole thing. So David sure. Sheets. Uh, Anytime. Thanks for joining us. Back. And a reminder, uh, we're launching this Friday in the 10:30 segment, a new, new feature over on Vermont viewpoint, which is called office hours. We're going to open the uh, phones, of course, but we want to answer your questions. Uh, they can be about politics. They can be about, um, they can be about arts. Uh, they can be about culture, history, uh, whatever. And we'll, we'll, I'll be here, uh, Email me your questions ahead of time, and I'll read them on the air and try to answer as many as I can. The email is vtviewpoint at radiovermont.com. The new segment is called Office Hours, where we try to answer your questions, and uh, it'll be great. We will we'll, we take all comers, so it doesn't have to be politics, although uh, that's that's what turns me on the most, talking about all that politics at both the uh, Vermont level and the national level. But you can talk about flooding. You can ask about art, uh, Vermont history. Uh, I we, we, We'll we try to just run the full gamut. So email me for our office hours segment at vtviewpoint at radiovermont.com. So that's the housekeeping. I want to give you uh, an update on what you're going to be doing this fall. A summer of indictments has set the stage for a fall dominated by legal proceedings as former President Trump and other profile Republicans defend themselves against what they call – what they claim is a tainted justice system. The dizzying headlines already pouring out of D.C., Georgia, Florida, and New York will accelerate over the coming months, testing the public's patience for a notoriously slow and complex legal process. So – Trump and his 18 co-defendants charged in the Georgia election interference case have all pleaded not guilty. They have waived their right to in-person arraignments. Uh, That includes former chief of staff Mark Meadows, who last week stunned legal experts by taking the witness stand in a risky bid to move his case to federal court. Pro-Trump lawyer Kenneth Chesborough's trial has been set and uh, at his request for October 23rd. Trump and his co-defendants in Georgia are not the only Republicans uh, caught up in the criminal justice system. Former trade advisor Peter Navarro's contempt trial is underway more than a year after he was indicted for defying a subpoena from the now defunct House January 6th committee. Prosecutors are seeking to to delay a status conference for indicted Representative George Santos of New York. And Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton's impeachment trial kicked off uh, yesterday. So uh, not to mention, uh, remember that the president's son, Hunter Biden, who was set to plead guilty to various uh, tax fraud charges, uh, and that – uh, plea, guilty plea fell apart at the last minute. Uh, he could face his own historic trial. Uh, and House Republicans are already preparing to launch an impeachment inquiry into President Biden over his unsubstantiated allegations of corruption and bribery tied to Hunter Biden's foreign business dealings. So there you go. Uh, not to mention the sentencing of Henry Enrique Tarrio, the former leader of the far right extremist group Proud Boys, was sentenced, uh, to 22 years in prison this week for his role in the January 6th insurrection. So, uh, the leaders of all the groups that were behind the insurrection, the, uh, invasion of the Capitol and, uh, was part of the, uh deaths and the abuse of Capitol police and other uh law enforcement figures they have been sentenced to what i don't know to my mind 22 years in prison that's a lot uh, so uh the 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 criminal justice system is now weighing in on those who invaded the statehouse uh so that's your fall if you're into politics uh you're you're just not going to hear the end of What's going on uh, criminal justice-wise on both sides of the aisle? Uh, Before we go further, why don't we take a call uh, from Guy in Berlin? Guy, welcome to the show.
3: Well, thank you. So I just wanted – I don't know if you've covered this yet. I just turned on the radio. But today it's the 122nd anniversary of an incredibly important event in American history. And it happened in Isle Lamont, Vermont. Of all places. Uh, do you want to take a guess?
1: I, gosh, that is so far above my pay grade. Hold on. 122 years. So that's yeah. 19. Isle of, God, I have no idea. The islands are so far from my world. Tell us about it.
3: Sure. So, uh, Teddy Roosevelt, Vice President Teddy Roosevelt, was at a fishing game dinner up in the Lieutenant Governor's house up in Isle of Mott. And he gets a phone call. Yes, they did have telephones then, at least in this guy's house. And he hears the word that President William McKinley oh. has been shot. Wow. And he he eventually dies uh, about seven days later, and, and Teddy is sworn in as president. And the reason that's, I think, so significant is McKinley was sort of the last of the Civil War presidents, uh, sort of the isolationism, the... The big corporate interests, uh, no talk about conservation or environmentalism, no talk about using American influence abroad, and Teddy Roosevelt totally changed all of that. He was the, the I think, the, the father of the American century, of the twentieth century, for good or for ill. Uh, so that ha- all happened with the, the ring of a phone in Isle Lamont. Uh, 122 years ago today.
1: And that, and Guy, that is uh, di- separate from the visit that Roosevelt paid to Montpelier and Barry for speeches, I believe, while he was president. Is that right? Uh,
3: that's right. Teddy was a, uh, a frequent uh, visitor to Vermont. Uh, Governor Urban, former Governor Urban Woodbury, was a supporter of his. And so was, uh, uh, oh, yeah, Admiral Dewey. Right. He, and, he and Admiral Dewey before Dewey was was the guy before the the big hero of the, of the war. They, Teddy had a obstacle course in like the 1880s or so when he was secretary of the navy, and only a few people could keep up with Teddy Roosevelt in the obstacle course, and one of them was Admiral George Dewey.
1: Oh. Okay, I have a story to tell. We have to sign. Guy, thank you for the call. I'll tell this story quickly. Teddy Roosevelt's obstacle course led John F. Kennedy to challenge the Marine Corps to be able to walk 50 miles with a pack on their backs. That led uh, JFK's brother Robert, the attorney general, to walk uh, one Saturday in his business shoes uh, 50 miles from uh, Georgetown towards Camp David and I, as a young and very stupid uh young man living in Washington, DC, uh recreated that fifty mile walk with friends uh to prove that we could do it. Hardest thing I've ever done took thir well, maybe only fifteen hours. Uh really, really painful. But there's a line from Roosevelt's um, obstacle course to uh JFK uh challenging the marines and then us doing it became a fad it was on the cover of life magazine everybody was walking 50 miles i got to go thank you for your calls you can find me at kevinkellis.com, uh where you can subscribe to my weekly newsletter called conflict of interest i'll be back friday we're going to talk healthcare with the interim ceo of one care vermont we'll talk all things healthcare its reform, and its politics. Remember our office hours segment at 1030 on Friday. Send me your questions, vtviewpoint at radiovermont.com. We will read them on the air and try to answer as many as we can. As always, we'll talk politics in Vermont and the nation and everything else on my mind and yours. Our show is produced by Danny McGivergan Today, he's at the soundboard. And engineered and made possible by all the folks at WDEV. Thanks so much for joining us. I'm Kevin Ellis. We'll see you right back here Friday on Vermont Viewpoint Live Radio on the friendly pioneer WDEV.